Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Kokora Movement Podcast. On this episode, we have Megan Calloway. She is a trainer based out of Vancouver, British Columbia. We had a great conversation, so let's just get this party started. episode I talked to you guys about how excited I was to see Captain Marvel well the reality is is I went and saw it and I enjoyed it but it wasn't the best one that they've made you know I think that Captain America the Winter Soldier is my favorite Marvel movie ever right behind that is Captain America Civil War and then all the Avengers movies and then you can start throwing like Thor Ragnarok in there I really love that one uh, this one was really good but it wasn't their best but that being said, the end scene, the one right after the credits, oh man, that got me pumped up. I'm so excited. I'm so excited for Avengers Endgame. It's coming next month. Oh, I'm so pumped. I can't even begin to tell you. I'm probably going to watch it like eight times in a row. I'm going to be that guy. I wish that I had like an Iron Man costume or a Captain America costume. I'd probably wear that. You know, good times. All right. All that being said, Let's just get this podcast rolling with Megan Calloway. So, Megan Calloway, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So, uh, let's get a background on where you're from and what you do and how you do it, because I've been following you for a while, um, but I don't know a whole lot about you. So, let's uh, tell our listeners um, your superhero origin story. <laughs> This, I joke, this is always my least favorite part, the introduction. Yeah. So what I will do, I will start with where I live. I live in Vancouver, Canada. Okay. I've been a strength coach for over 15 years. Nice. I'm an athlete. I'm a writer. I love animals. I love art. I mean, I lo- there's a lot more to me than just what I do for work. Right. But I'm super passionate about helping people feel better, feel empowered. I love to um, try to think of the best way to describe this. I mean... Well, most of the training I do is very basic. I also have become pretty good at kind of finding ways to become a little bit more creative, to get people excited, to make them feel inspired, enjoy what they're doing, but in a way that still really makes sense to the training. Yeah. So I think that's something that I excel at. Um, I think that's probably a good starting point. Yeah, I would agree with that. And so, you know, the way that I look at uh, training myself and uh, the clients that I have coming in is like, I look at it like uh, belt levels for martial arts, right? So when you come in and I do my initial movement assessment, I start to look and see where you fit in with my uh, current thought process and where we need to start you out at, because you might not even be a white belt. You might just have to start at, you know, just the developmental kinesiology patterns, like crawling and rolling. And yeah, then, you know what you do a good job of, and uh, one of the reasons why I started following you is because you're adding um, different variants to these basic patterns. Yes, and, you know that's what I try to do as well. Is you know, so what is the bear crawl when you're a blue belt level, and then what is it when you have a couple of stripes within that blue belt, and then what is it when you're purple belt, and then keep going all the way up, and then uh, you know figuring out different difficulties and. Uh, with all these different patterns so that it's infinitely variable once you get people past the basic prerequisites and best and then uh, start adding load and then get them stronger and then you start to add variants and so that's uh, one of the things that I really admire about you is your um, the variants that you have in your training yeah well I think that's one thing that's so amazing about training in general is that for all of the fundamental movements there are so many different variations that can or that can accommodate people fitness levels and abilities so people kind of think there's one way to do something right. there's so many different ways you can achieve the same goal 
while catering to people of different fitness levels and abilities. Right. So I think even as a coach, just kind of learning all the different variations or at least many different variations so you can better accommodate your clients. Right. And uh, I think practicing them on yourself and experimenting on yourself, then you can start to see if it's even viable for other people. To yes. Do. Yeah. I will never do something with a client unless I have actually tried it out on myself. Right. And, uh, you know, there's the, the, the parameters, that's a different thing. And so that's kind of what I am really kind of moving through right now. And, uh, uh, do you know of, uh, DJ Murakami? He's uh, strong camps on Instagram. You know what? I don't. Oh man. He's amazing. I'll add him. How do I spell this? It's a, uh, so just look up strong camps. Let me just jot this down in my notes. Yeah. <laughs> strong, strong camps. Yeah, just like, you know, like uh, I went to summer camp, like strong okay. camps. Yeah, yep. Perfect. Done. And yeah, he's really good too, you know, like, uh, but he posted something today where he's doing like a barbell shoulder press, but he's bringing it all the way down to like the, the uh, sternum and instead of like the bottom of the sternum, like solar plexus area, instead yeah. of just going through the shoulder. And, you know, so that um, reminds me of uh Yuval Noah Harari's book uh, Sapiens where you know they're talking about all this stuff that like humans make up to make themselves feel better about things like borders right and so yes and this is the way that you're supposed to shoulder press well when do you ever shoulder press perfectly in real life like you should prepare for variables yeah everybody's so different as well so right. I mean one in quotations optimal form for one person might be a total disaster for somebody else Right. And so we need to mitigate those disasters. And so that's yes. where if you come up with the variance in your training, then you have um, different solutions for the different athletes that you have coming in. Right? Yeah. Well, that's even when you're with somebody, it's so important to ask them where they're feeling it, what they're feeling. And I mean, while somebody, they might be, again, performing an exercise and it looks like their form is great they might not necessarily, it might feel terrible for them. It might not, they might not be feeling it in the right areas. So it's the kind, you have to talk to your clients. You have to kind of ask them what and where they're feeling versus just watching. I mean, and observing. So there is right. so much more that goes into coaching than just simply watching somebody or even just cueing them. You, right. There has to be constant dialogue. Of course, you want to make sure you say, you give them kind of enough. Like you say, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe this. Like even in terms of talking to clients, sometimes less words is better. Right. So as a coach over the years, I actually talk a lot less now than I used to. Yeah. I don't just kind of talk to fill the air. I kind of pick and choose my words really wisely, whether or not I'm cueing, whether or not I'm asking people where they're feeling it, what they're feeling, because you don't want to overwhelm people while they're performing the movements. Right. Because of course, then it's going to make it really hard for them to do it properly. Right. And then, so the, the, based on the fact that, you know, humans are adaptable. So once they start to fatigue, they're going to be doing squats or lunges or Bulgarian split squats or whatever it is differently each for each and every rep. So yes. that's a, that's a thing that I tried to uh, back off a lot on also. So um, to give you a little bit of background on me, I started uh, uh, my coaching career in uh, mixed martial arts and boxing and then moved on to CrossFit from there, which is, you know, a lot of yelling and a <laughs> lot of uh, remedial cueing and, you know, just really trying to uh, get people to fix their form while they're under duress, essentially. Yes. And so that isn't really how I coach too much anymore. I'm really observational. And if you know, so like if somebody's doing a lot of squats, then and their form starts to get, you know, to where they're not doing what I call the competition standard, which is hips below parallel, that's just their body adapting to the stimulus in a safe manner, right? So then yeah. you're, you're not going to do a whole lot of corrections in the heat of the moment. And so, you know, just making sure that they're squatting safe, and that doesn't mean that they're going to squat to below parallel every time. It just means that they're squatting. And so, if yeah. And I mean, not everybody even should be squatting to below parallel. I mean, right. technically, like if you're competing, yes, some people, I mean, that's the other thing that is so awesome about coaching and just training in general, optimal form is so different for everybody. So 
me, I mean, I have crazy ankle mobility, which I have learned to control. Right. My depth for squats is pretty good. Right. Like it's very, it's like well below parallel. If you look at my ankles, there's a lot of dorsiflexion. You see that my knees are well ahead of my toes. Torso is pretty upright and I feel great. Right. Other people, they might only be able to get to parallel before they suffer from breakdowns in form. Other people, they might only be able to box squat. Right. So it does totally depend on the person and our coaching obviously does need to cater to each person versus kind of having universal standards that we enforce on everybody. Right. And I mean, over the years, my obviously my quality of coaching has really improved. A good example, many, many years ago with myself, with my own training, but even clients, I used to insist that everybody had a perfect or like a perfectly symmetrical stance while squatting. Right. I have since learned, I mean, due to hip structure, due to other factors, somebody might feel better with one foot pointing out a little bit more than the other. Right. And I, I don't know if you know Dean Somerset. He talks about this quite a lot. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, there is no one size fits all optimal form, optimal depth, anything like that. So I think the sooner coaches realize that, the more effective they'll be at doing their job. Right. And then, so that's why since I started studying uh, the uh, strength and conditioning and started, you know, learning like the functional range conditioning and, and, uh, those kind of ideals and, and those principles, then I started to realize that if you're squatting great, it, and that's why I started calling the hit below parallel, the competition standard, Totally. Because, you know, and it's, uh, you know, like I've been coaching my mom for, um, a, almost two and a half years now. And she started squatting to a 24 inch box and then moved to a 20 inch box. And now she's um, graduated all the way to a 12-inch box. And probably six months from now, she won't be squatting with the box at all. You know That's what I mean? amazing. Right. And so it's, it's starting people where they're at yes. instead of you know, just trying to crush some kind of standard on them. And then so it's your responsibility as a coach to be able to have the regressions as well as the progressions. So I think – Yes. I think uh, – we get stuck in the progressions because that stuff's really fun. And that's how an we, ego right? <laughs> yeah, fun and the ego. Totally. Right. And so, you know, cause that's how my training is. Like I, um, you know, I'm sure you're just like me where you're just like, Oh, how can I make that movement different? Or you're, you're planning your workout like 24 hours ahead of time to add more variance to your movement and see what works and what doesn't. And, you know, then we stop to, we stop thinking about the regressions that we need to put uh, people in. Yes. Well, for me, it's funny, kind of the more staple movements with the barbell, like barbell front squats, back squats, deadlifts, stuff like that. I am pretty basic and I don't add in a lot of crazy stuff. Yeah. It's kind of more the single leg stuff I might, but largely with me, it's body weight stuff, upper body and core. That's kind of where I find I can get really, really creative. Correct. Because a lot of the time these movements are lower risk. And of course you're using a lot less weight. Right. And so that's essentially how, you know, your warm up is your workout is basically what, um, how, uh, my brain works. So like if you're, so if I'm warming up for like a back squat, then I'll figure out some kind of single leg variation that's in the sagittal plane, some single leg variation that's in the frontal plane, and then figure out how to make build variants within that or load like a kettlebell or a band yeah, or whatever. Landmine. I find right. that landmine, you can oh do so many awesome things. Well, I have a program that I actually funny right before we were talking, I just finished editing, writing and editing the intro. So the whole thing is done now. It's going to be like my pull-up program. If I don't know if you're familiar with that. Um, I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen oh. it before. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, this is going to be super comprehensive. It's going to be at least 150 pages long. I haven't actually counted the full number of pages yet just because I'm in the final stages. Yeah. But with landmine exercises and even just to go back to squatting, a lot of people, I mean, say they have the goal of wanting to do a back squat and they're not, or they're not there. Right. They start out with, maybe they start out with goblet squats because it's a great way to learn how to squat and you can add some weight. Right. But eventually, you're going to kind of reach your limit because your upper body and the amount, the amount of weight you're able to hold, that's going to kind of stop you. And then you're not going to be able to lift any more with your legs. So landmine squats, they kind of can bridge the gap between the goblet squat and the barbell back or front squat because they allow people to continue to learn the squatting movement 
while adding more resistance than they'd likely be able to use with a goblet squat. Right. So even like that's a great way to kind of progress or regress movements. And I mean, as you said, like, well, I mean, as I guess, as I said, but you're talking about frontal plane, sagittal plane, landmine exercises, they can be so beneficial for targeting those movements. Yeah. I love that thing. I went on a landmine rampage for like two and a half months. Just let's see what this thing can do. And I think it's one of the most versatile pieces of gym equipment that you could buy. Yeah. Well, I don't even necessarily think you need one. I mean, I've never, well, I shouldn't say I've never, I've used one maybe twice. And the funny thing with it, I always used to complain about it because the gym that I used to train out of, they had the landmine piece, but they refused to get a trap bar. Their reason for not getting the trap bar was because they said they had the landmine attachment and it took up too much space. So I was just like, are you serious? In most cases, you can just put the barbell against a wall, like in the corner of the room, you can rest it up against a weight plate. Yep. Pretty much against a stable surface or even on a no-slip floor. Right. So, I mean, while it can be super awesome, a lot of people think that they have to have one when they totally don't. Right. But they are cost-effective, though. So, like, you totally. can get one for, like, 20 or 30 bucks, and it's not even a big deal. Oh, yeah. And they, I mean, they can be good for the, more of the rotational stuff. Yep. Like, where the barbell might slip. But, I mean, again, if it's on the no-slip surface or in a corner, you're not going to really have that problem. Right. Absolutely. And then you couple that with uh, kettlebells and, and then you can just, you can have a, just a great garage gym or whatever you're looking for with just a couple pieces of equipment. And so that's a thing. Once I started moving away from CrossFit, I started to really kind of discover that I don't really use a barbell all that much unless I'm doing like, a, if I'm deciding to do a back squat that day or a deadlift or whatever it is. Yeah. And, uh, even on those days, I don't use them unless I'm doing that specific movement. And so, and there's, I can go, so right now I'm more at a, at a maintenance phase. So, you know, after a while you're just like, well, how strong do I need to get really, you know? So once I pulled a 500 pound deadlift, I'm like, cool. So now what, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, so then I, you know, start experimenting with all these different movements and start building so much variance that the reality is, is I don't really lose all that much strength. No. Yeah. Well, that's what I found. I mean, of course, like there's the whole principle of specificity, but I mean, even you'll find a lot of people who I'm trying to think of the best way to explain this. Some people who might excel at the barbell lifts, for, for example, bench press or rows, stuff like that, they might have a really hard time with a lot of the body weight movements. Right. But I find that a lot of the people who are really good at performing the body weight movements, they are often quite good at performing the barbell lifts, or at least they improve pretty quickly, Right. largely because they've developed that control throughout their whole body and also the lumbopelvic stability. Right. So, I mean, I had a client, this is years ago, he loved to bench press and he was really good at it but he could barely perform push-ups, And the way, like the best way to describe what I saw kind of in his um, lumbopelvic region, he looked like a slinky because he lacked that much stability. He was just hinging through his spine. He actually would shake a lot. And it was really interesting to me. And I mean, all those years ago, I didn't quite comprehend everything as well as I do now. Yeah. But it makes such a huge difference if you can control your body Right. you will likely be a lot better at performing or it has a positive carryover to the barbell lifts. Right. I mean, and of course you have to train them, but it still right. really helps. Right. And so, you know, like I said, I'm on the barbell probably two, maybe three times a week. And there's sometimes where I go weeks without touching a barbell. And yeah. like I said, there's, I have these, uh, these parameters in my head of how strong that I think that I should be personally. And so I'm always, able to maintain that strength that I, uh, those levels that I have reached before. And just by doing, you know, dumbbell bench press variations or, or, um, you know, deficit pushups or deficit ring pushups or all kinds of different stuff. And, you know, I love those. Yeah, me too. And I'm just trying to think of any way that I can just, uh, you know, explore the movement of my body. So there, you know, function range conditioning, I took that, um, last April and that really, opened up my eyes to all the movements that I wasn't doing. And yeah. And, but that's the thing too, is we have, I'm uh, still a coach at a CrossFit gym 
and you have all these incredibly strong and capable athletes, but then you put them on the wall and have them try and do a controlled articular rotation of their shoulder, and they just can't even do it at all. They can't function at all. Yeah. And that's a huge gap of your training that's missing if you're not exploring all these movements of your joints. Oh, I totally agree. Um, yeah, so it's a uh, – and then, you know, once you start to realize – that like the controlling your joint that sends signals directly to the brain. So then every time that you figure out a new movement or figure out a new way to complete it, and then you get that full range of motion, that's just send, that's just lighting your brain up. And uh, it's just so beneficial to just know where your body is in space. And it's fun. I it's find so much fun. And it brings, you know, cause after I've been doing uh, CrossFit since 2010. So after a while you're like, okay, more squats and pull-ups, I guess today, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so after a while you're just like, well, let's see what this does or see how this feels or, you know, what if I eliminate this and then try to do that? Or, you know, it's just, it's a lot more exploratory and it's great. And, uh, yeah, that's how I feel my training is too. Like I'm constantly experimenting. I'm exploring. I posted a pretty cool pull-up variation shortly before we hopped on this podcast. And it's, nice. it's hard to explain, but I'm kind of like, it's kind of more of the play like ones where I'm kind of jogging towards the bar and then I change directions midair. And I yeah. kind of do that a couple of times before I get to the bar. Right. And then I kind of go lateral glide at the top and then I perform the same movements on the way down. Yeah. And it's just fun. I mean, you feel like you're playing. Yeah. No, that's essentially what we're supposed to be doing anyway, right? That's yeah. the optimal form of training anyway. Uh, and then just, oh, and then you had this, uh, it was like a couple of weeks where you were um, showing all the different sled variations. I really enjoyed that too. That was really Oh, those cool. were fun. Yeah. Oh, I wish, I mean, the one thing I wish where I worked, we had turf, it would make it so much easier. Yeah. Just because, the, well, it's expensive. I mean, I know how much it is for turf. Yeah. But um, I mean, even just the carpet that we have at our gym, it's not that smooth. So right. even just the amount of friction, it makes everything significantly tougher. Right. But it's, I love using the sled and I'll use it a lot. I mean, I use it kind of, again, I was playing a lot during that feature and trying a lot of things out. A lot of core stuff, a lot of anti-rotational stuff kind of some push-pull combos, but I also do love the sled for conditioning. Right. I mean, I'll either do sprints using it or what I will often do, kind of in quotations, my steady cardio. Yeah. What I'll do is I set, a, I set the sled up and I go quite heavy, like a, kind of a medium weight, and then I'll put the spin bike at the end of the carpet, and then I'll do a minute kind of medium tension, medium speed on the spin bike. And then I'll immediately do a couple lengths of the sled. And then I'll just do that over and over for about half an hour. Yeah. It's intense. You. I'm sure it is. And then yeah. your legs are all filling with blood and <laughs> it's great. I don't get the leg. Like I go, I choose a weight where my legs don't really feel it that much. So okay. it is kind of more heart and lungs. Right. Okay. And good. then That's same fine. with the bike. So I kind of am focusing purely on my cardio other times. And I mean, I was going for a 600 pound push on the sled yeah. and I got up to 550, but what ended up happening again, because of the carpet, me and the owner of our gym, we were the only, we were the two people who were going really heavy, but due to the friction of our shoes on the carpet, we ended up burning a hole in the carpet with our oh, feet. Yeah. And so we <laughs> kind of were, we had a, we have a new rule where we can't go that heavy just because we were destroying the carpet. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. Like, so I stopped at five fifty. That was my max. Yeah, I think I've the most I've ever pushed on a sled is eight hundred. I think. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty heavy, but I'm a big dude. I'm a you know right now I'm about two hundred thirty five pounds. So, you know that's part of where that's part of you know or you were speaking on ego earlier. That's part of where my ego gets me. Where I'm like, well, I could put a little bit more on there. So, you know, and then you push it down to the driveway, and you're like, okay, so I'm gonna rest for about five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard it is but hard. i mean even my thing i mean if it was on turf and i could have worn cl like cleats or something i would have worn my soccer boots it yeah. would have been a lot easier my biggest issue wasn't so much pushing the weight it was my shoes slipping on the carpet right so then it just became really frustrating and yeah. then what i did one day it was on the weekend when nobody was at the gym and i really wanted to hit my 550 
I, what I ended up doing was I put chalk on my shoes. I ended up chalking <laughs> the bottom of my shoes nice. just because, I mean, I was slipping and I was getting so mad. So I finally just chalked my shoes, totally made a mess in the gym and then cleaned it up once I was done. I like it. Yeah. If you yeah. clean it up, nobody knows. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right it was on. a weekend. Nobody was there. So... <laughs> Yeah, so the I think that you know the the anti rotation or the contralateral stabilization of the core is incredibly important, and I think it's really not focused on in the current fitness space. And so you know that's what I really try and integrate a lot into a lot of my movements. So I try to make sure that a majority of you know my squatting, pushing, and pulling is all contralateral in as a warm up for uh, my lifting for load. And so, yeah. yeah. And I just think that it's so important and you know, that's how we walk. That's how we run. That's how we play. And it's it, for some reason, we just get so hyper-focused on the abs. It doesn't make any sense to me, but you know, like I said, I was in that headspace when we started CrossFit, like the abs were the core, but that's not true at all. No. I always talk about the whole 60 or 360 degrees around the spine. Yeah. So all the muscles in the torso, I mean, essentially all the muscles in the body, but the limbs, that's typically what I define as the core. Yeah. And I mean, I'll do exercise. Like I do do some rotational work and kind of more mobility in that area. Right. But the majority of the exercises that I do perform for the core, and of course it does depend on the person but there'll be core stability. So anti-extension, anti-rotation, anti-lateral flexion. Right. And there's so many good variations that can accommodate most people. Right. But I mean, the whole thing like, no, don't flex your spine. I mean, that's obviously not correct. Don't right. rotate. That's not correct. Right. Most, I mean, in most daily activities, or at least a lot of them, your spine might flex, your spine might rotate. You should probably be able to train that movement. Right. But of course, sensibly and of course everything does depend on the individual so i think that is really important right yeah and i think uh that's from the that comes a lot from the crossfit space with just having the rigid spine all the time and yeah. so but if your spine was supposed to be rigid then it would not have a bunch of joints in it you know so yeah to be able to move and then you need to be able to control those variables and so you know training with the flexor extended or laterally laterally flexed spine is I think really important because that's when you get injured is when you deviate from where you normally train. Yes. Well, when you, even with CrossFit, I laugh and I can't, this is silly. I can't remember the name of the exercise, but the sit-ups where you're on the glute hamstring race. Oh, the GHD machine or the GHD sit-ups. I hate those so much. (laughs) (laughs) those are ones where I mean again they might work for some people but for most people or at least many people they're probably not something I would prescribe no well so you know that I'm a massage therapist as well and uh, you know I learned one of the modalities that I use is neurokinetic therapy and the neurokinetic therapy used utilizes uh, uh, neurological muscle testing to figure out where the neurological dysfunction is coming from and then virtually eliminate it. So then all muscles are firing properly again. Yeah. So one of the biggest weaknesses that I find, especially in CrossFit athletes is the abdominal region. And that's when I start, when I started to realize that I started uh, paying attention while I was coaching and their abs tend to shut off between 50 and 60 reps. They just neurologically get fatigued and worn down and then um, don't get as much neural drive and then other muscle groups usually the front of the neck or the hip flexors start to take over and you can literally watch it happen it's really interesting but then if you put them on that ghd machine where they're getting you know full extension then the abs turn off sooner but then that's the only muscle group that's decelerating them on the way down so then it just becomes so detrimental to your spine health to do those and i don't understand why they're there that's called a glute ham developer there's no abs in there at all like we need to eliminate that oh i use it for glute hamstring raises and i love doing reverse extensions on it right but i mean otherwise i don't use it for a lot else or actually no i use the handle so like you know how people do the body or at least some people do the body weight tricep extensions right so what you could, I mean, obviously on a TRX, I would do it in a barbell that I'd set up in a squat rack, 
But what's really easy, I mean, if you're able to do them quite well and you can go to pretty low level, you can use the handle of the GHR machine. And of course, that, that way you don't have to set up a barbell or do anything. Yeah. That's so that's awesome. another use I have. Or I use just the bottom of it to attach a band for, for example, band-resistant dead bugs or, I mean, other exercises. Yeah. That's I'm, pretty much how I use it. I'm not ashamed to say I do bicep curls on there too. <laughs> how do you – oh, like preacher curls? Yeah, just like right on the pad there. Actually, I do use it. I lied. I use it for an exercise for elbow health. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> but we don't use it for abs at all. I like it. I like it that we're on the same page with that. <laughs> yeah, I've never used it for abs. But the way that um, the way that I describe your core is that uh, your core is your shoe and your abs are your shoelaces. So if you just do too many ab workouts and you're just tightening the crap out of your shoelaces, it's not really helping anything. No, or at least like, yeah, you can focus on your abs, but focus on everything else as well. Right. Yep, absolutely. That's so, my thing. And so you've been a trainer for 15 years. That's epic. Yeah. So I mean, most of my career I was coaching in person. Okay. Now I'm a combo of in-person and online. Okay. And I mean, I do do online coaching. I have the pull-up program. I have another program coming out in uh, June. And I also, I, I don't know if you saw me talking about the Complete Trainers Toolbox. It was on Instagram. I kind of did talk about it a little bit. Okay. It was a collaboration project that I did with eight others. Okay. And so, I mean, it's NSCA approved for continuing education credits. It's a series of webinars and it was really good. Nice. So I have that. And then I have one other product, uh, Glutes Core Pelvic Floor that came out last June. Oh, so nice. I am focusing on products as well. Okay, good. So yeah. what were the biggest uh, paradigm shifts that you've had throughout your career? Uh, because everybody starts somewhere. And then, you know, the more you learn, the more you're like, oh, why didn't I implement that earlier? You know, so. Well, in my young days, I mean, like early 20s, I was kind of so focused on my, like this with my own, or sorry, largely with my own training, but then also with clients because it was kind of the wishes of clients and the types of clients I would attract. People who only cared about training for aesthetics. Yeah. Which I mean, again, training for aesthetics is totally, totally cool. And is a goal of so many people. Right. But I find that when you are focused purely on aesthetics, you overlook so many key components. I mean, simply feel good, performing at a higher level. And I'm not even just talking about in the gym or during a play, like playing a sport. I'm talking about during everyday life. Right. Like, can you walk up the flight of stairs without getting winded? Right. When you're on a plane, can you, this is like when I fly, it drives me crazy. Can you put your bag in the overhead compartment without? taking forever because you're not able to get it up there. Right. So simple things like that. So, I mean, I was really focused on training for aesthetics over performance and health. Yeah. So me, I was, I mean, that probably lasted until close to 28. At 28, I was in a pretty bad car accident where I walked away uninjured. But for five years after that, I dealt with one injury and symptom after the other Nobody could tell me what was wrong with me. And I spent probably at least $25,000 Canadian dollars yeah. trying to find somebody who could tell me what was wrong with me. And so, I mean, during this time, I really realized what a gift I had been wasting with my training, how I was kind of your, I don't want to say your typical person, but I was just obsessed with burning calories. I was worried about lifting to get too big. I didn't train to feel good. I didn't train to perform at a higher level. So that was a huge turning point for me. And I mean, it changed my mindset as a coach. So, and then, I mean, even just to sum it up, five years later, somebody, like I finally found a good physio who in two sessions did more for me than in the five years combined. Right. And then I got better. I was able to focus on my training and I totally shifted my perspective to training for health, feeling good, feeling empowered and performing at a higher level. Yeah. I also became much more interested in truly learning. I mean, I cared about learning before, but during the injury, I kind of became a student during all of my appointments with all the different doctors because I really, really wanted to get better. I kind of ditched the patient mentality and I adopted the mentality of a student. So yeah. I became obsessed with learning. Like I learned probably more in those five years than I did in all of my years in university. Right. And I have a degree in kinesiology. Yeah. 
yeah. So, I mean, that was a lot more beneficial for me. And I just wanted to become a better coach. I wanted to learn, I mean, all the fundamental movements. I wanted to learn everything. Right. Obviously, there's a lot more than the fundamental movements, but (laughs) yeah. But if you have that basic foundation and knowledge, then you can really start to expand off of that. So, yes. um, You know, I went to um, a local community college here and was trying to get done with the prereqs in order to go to. physical therapy school, but I just couldn't get past, you know, the math portion. I just kept getting stuck on like the higher math, like calculus and physics and all that kind of craziness where, you know, I'm not really going to launch a space shuttle anytime soon. So I don't really need that kind of stuff, but exactly. um, But once I uh, went back to massage school and then graduated from that, I realized that I could literally take any course that I wanted and just went on an education rampage after that. And so one thing as opposed to university, like when you're going to an education course, the teachers are so passionate about what they're teaching. That's why they're teaching it. And so that's what was really fun for me is the, the level of passion that the teachers had for whatever they were teaching. And then, you know, the, I started out um, with the dynamic neuromuscular stabilization just to wrap my head around breathing mechanics and bracing mechanics and what, ipsilateral and contralateral stability really meant. Yes. And then, you know, once you get the concept, then you can just run from there, you know, and then, like I said, I went down the uh, um, uh, function range conditioning hole from there and then, um, you know, went into the kin stretch stuff, which is a whole other way to move your body around. And, you know, there's just start following all these different people and there's almost a community of like-minded people on uh, Instagram that are just constantly posting their training videos. And it's just so much fun, just almost calling each other out being like, Hey, you should try this or you should try that. Or look what she did. That's amazing. Or look what he did. That's amazing. I'm going to try it. And then I'm going to add my own little twist to it and see what I can come up with. And it's just, God, it's so much fun. Oh, I love Instagram. And I mean, of course, yeah, there's a lot of stuff on there that's really kind of shady, but there are so many good people on there to follow. Yeah. And I mean, I'm learning something every, like not even just something, I'm learning so many things every day from different people online. Right. I mean, Facebook's kind of gone downhill. Yeah. Like, and even just right before we jumped on the podcast, I, I shared a video earlier today on there that I also shared on Instagram. Somebody, um, or no, you know what? It was somebody who tagged me in a video. It's in my Instagram story, but I shared it on Facebook and somebody commented and she said that she did not see the variation that I shared on Facebook. So what Facebook has been doing, I don't know if you're on there, yeah, I'm but on there. the algorithm has changed. So basically nobody sees anything. Yeah, so I, I will post videos on um, Facebook and I might be lucky to get a couple hundred views. Yeah. The same videos on Instagram. And I just kind of shared one recently just to kind of compare. Um, one on Facebook, I think it didn't even crack 200 views. On Instagram, it's almost now at 8,500, or sorry, on Twitter, I should say. It's almost 8,500 views. Jeez. And I believe on Instagram, I mean, it wasn't wonderful. I think near 1,500. But yeah. I mean, Facebook hides everything. Right. So while I still do post on there because I made a comment about, like I just stated the fact that Facebook is not as good now. Twitter and Instagram are better. Yeah. So over pretty much since then, I received a handful of emails and messages from people who are worried that I'm going to be leaving Facebook. Yeah. So I just said, I'm like, no, no, no. Like, I'm not going to be leaving Facebook. I'm going to keep posting. But Instagram and even Twitter are better. So I will be focusing more of my attention on those platforms. Right. And it's a, so I post the same videos on Instagram that I do on Facebook. And I get maybe two or three views on Facebook. And then, like, you know, I'm just starting out. So probably. Yeah well over a hundred on Instagram, you know, so it's, and it's, it's also really interesting. I'm glad you kind of brought that up. What people respond to, which is yeah. interesting to me. So, you know, cause I'm, you know, experimenting with a lot of these different movement variations, like we were just discussing, but then I do like a half kneeling hamstring curl with a weight plate on my foot. And people think that's amazing. And I'm like, really? That's, <laughs> it's just, yeah, really- it's, interesting to me too like where i'll post some videos and i think they're really really good yeah and the views aren't wonderful yet i'll share something else and people just love it right and And other things that i've learned and i mean it's so silly to me but based on 
outfits, colors, you name it, video views will absolutely be, be dictated by that. Huh. <laughs> oh, I've learned. I mean, like I wear certain exercises when I film. Yeah. Just certain colors because I know those videos will often get more views than when I wear other outfits. That's interesting. And they're similar outfits. It's not like a different style. It's just different colors. Right. <laughs> it's yes. so silly. It is silly. And it's just trying to, trying to figure out what works and what doesn't and what people respond to. It's just this whole different kind of, it's like, it's like a whole different realm of like trying to figure out an experiment with these different movements, but then also experimenting with the posting and trying to figure out what catches on and what doesn't. Yeah. And I mean, even my thing, and somebody commented below the Facebook post where I put the side-by-side -side comparison of the Twitter video and the Facebook video. Yeah. I don't care about popularity. I don't care about numbers. That to me is totally insignificant. Yeah. But if nobody is seeing my videos and my work, that's going to obviously affect the number of people I'm able to help. It might impact the amount of money I make through sales of my programs. Right. So obviously it's relevant. So I need to focus my attention on the platforms where more people are seeing my work. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Facebook so, used to be good. Yeah. Well, then they just started figuring out that you, they can make money off of that. So then in Well, order that's what for, they want. Yeah. Right. So then in order for you to get more views on that video, then you have to pay for that video yep. to be viewed more. Yeah. They want so, you to boost the posts. Yeah. So that might be happening to Instagram too, unfortunately. So we got to take advantage of that while we can. It has actually gotten worse. I found the views are down. Yeah. But Twitter has been insane. And right. I mean, I've been on Twitter for years. I used to never go on. I'd only go on during launches where I'd kind of half-heartedly post about the product that I might like that might be on sale. But nobody, like the whole thing with people who buy from you, you need to give content away for free, good content for a long time and consistently in order for people to respect you, to be loyal, and then of course to buy from you. So on Twitter, I decided I was going to start trying on, I quotations, trying. So whenever I post something on Instagram, I will now post it on Twitter. Yeah. And Twitter has been awesome. It's been my best platform lately. Hmm. I might have to get yeah. back on there. I mean, I use it because I do follow a lot of really awesome people who post great articles, who post great videos. I kind of do, although I deleted a lot of the sites, I used to follow a lot of the news pages. But I mean, I try to limit the amount of news that I'm exposed to. Yeah, it's all negative. <laughs> yes. I'm so really I'm, into I'm really into positivity and helping each other grow. I don't need to, you know, I don't know. They're they're really hyper focused on negativity, and I'm not into that. There need to like we need to have positive news channels, right? Just yeah. Positive stories. Yeah. Like, you know, there's animals and yeah, there's all these videos. Like there's a video that's going viral right now of a dog that was locked in the backyard and got caught and was tangled up in some kind of weird canopy. And this police officer that jumped the fence and essentially freed the dog. And then the dog like jumped up and started hugging him and licking him. And Aww. I'm like, ah, oh, see, that's what we need. We need, you know, because there's, there so focused on this police brutality but there's thousands hundreds of thousands of police officers that are doing good in the world but we don't yep yes so true it's just you know we need to focus on what they're doing they're they're out there making the community a better place to live and we're hyper focused on the few instead of you know taking a broad view of everyone yeah i limit my exposure on twitter and facebook and i mean i do spend most of my time on instagram and i actually <laughs> A couple, or it wasn't a couple of years ago. I think it was last year. I went on a mass, I joke, detox on Instagram and I deleted people who were either really negative, really unhelpful. I mean, anybody who's hateful or anything like that, they're gone. Like they'll be blocked. Right. But I replaced those people with animal accounts. Nice. <laughs> and it's so nice. I'll go on my Instagram and I'll see cute videos of puppies. I'll see National Geographic and it's so much better. Yeah, it's way better. Yeah, the puppies. Uh, excuse me, I'm sorry. Uh, hold on just a second. All good? <laughs> yeah, we're all good. It's just, you know, phone solicitors. Oh, I got that last night. Oh, they're just on me. It's crazy. Um, yeah, over it. So anyway, <laughs> moving on. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so when you started out, so I'm always 
the reason why I started this podcast initially um, was because, you know, I'm a, I'm a beginner massage therapist and also really starting out my uh, personal training as well. Um, so I'm interested in like how you get to a point where you kind of push through the variables in order to get to where you finally deem yourself successful or have you always felt successful or, or how does that work? No, I mean, in my early days, and I mean, I think a lot of people are like this. They feel like they know everything. Yeah. Like in the very, very early days. And I mean, a lot of the exercises I would use, my coaching cues, even just my beliefs, thinking back, I'm horrified. Yeah. So, I mean, which is good. It shows that I've come a really long way. Right. Um, during my five-year period after the car accident, I was in a really, really bad way. I wasn't able to train properly. Even with clients, it was so bad. I mean, I didn't even really talk about it a lot, so very few people knew. I really had to almost, um, like, because I was in such a bad way, I could not demo a lot of the exercises that I wanted to do with clients. Right. So, I mean, I was not able to provide as good a service. I felt like a total imposter. So I definitely didn't feel good about myself as a coach, probably for at least a couple of years. When I think I finally really started to come into my own, I mean, I'm 38 now, I would say probably around 32, 33. Interesting. And what, how yeah. old were you when you started? Uh, 20. Oh my gosh. I've been doing it for 15 years. Yeah. <laughs> so 23. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So, cause that's kind of how I feel as well. So I started coaching uh, CrossFit back in 2010 and I was coaching boxing and MMA uh, back in like 2006 and 2007. And yeah. so, you know, I'm finally at the point where I am really coming into my own as far as like coaching goes. And then, you know, I've just been, um, I've been practicing uh, massage therapy off and on since 2000. And I've been uh, focused solely on massage therapy since 2015. So I got a pretty good handle on that. But, you know, the the coaching thing, it's just really interesting because, you know, there's, you know, I hate to pick on CrossFit so much, but that's just what I'm deep into right now. But there's people that just go and take a CrossFit level one course and then think they know everything. Yeah. And it just doesn't make sense. And so there's just such a lack of knowledge there. And I keep telling people, you know, like CrossFit education is just like my massage education. It's very remedial and very basic. And yeah. You need to go out and expand your knowledge from there. And there's so many different avenues that you could take. Yeah. Well, even just an interesting one. Uh, so I have a degree in kinesiology. People automatically think, oh, degree in kinesiology, they must know so much. Right. Honestly, and I went to a very good school. During the four-year span that I went there, it, I mean, I learned very little, very, uh, like most of the information I learned back then is pretty irrelevant and I barely use any of it now. <laughs> Probably I would say about 99% of my education happened after I left school. So I mean, I do think like letters, all that sort of stuff, I think it is really overrated. And a lot of the most brilliant people in our industry, in terms of letters or formal education, they might not have it. Yeah. So that's kind of one of my pet peeves. And I mean, I feel like I have a right to say it because I do have the degree in kinesiology. Right. Yeah. But I mean, and then a lot of people and people I've worked like not with is in terms of like being partners with them, but people I've worked alongside, some of the most, I don't want to say incompetent because it sounds bad, but some of the most, um, I mean, I guess incompetent coaches were the ones with the kinesiology degree. And you could tell the second they left school, they thought they knew it all. They stopped learning. They did not evolve. And I mean, it was just very glaring. Right. Yeah. Man. So there's a, yeah, there's kind of a lot to unpack there. And so that, <laughs> So one of the things is like, if you're, you can know a lot of techniques, but you got to understand the concept. So that's kind of what we were talking about with like the, the dynamic neuromuscular stabilization. Like once you understand the concept then you can just run with it. But yeah. I've seen a lot of, of um, instructors or chiropractors or trainers who just use the DNS techniques instead of understanding the concept behind it. Or, you know, same with like even functional range conditioning. Like, do you understand the concept? Because once you understand what Dr. Andrea Spina is saying, um, and, and then you can really run with it. And, 
you know, come up with your own unique stuff and, and, and just combine it into all these different modalities and then just become your own unique trainer. And so yeah. I think that's where, um, you know, a lot of people kind of fall off and that's, that's what I, I wanted to talk about earlier is there's levels to this stuff. And so, you know, just like when a client comes in and you look at their, their, you do your assessment and look at what they're capable of doing, then you need to put them at the level that they're at. And I think that, yeah. that's, that goes with just about anything because you can be whatever you are for a decade and still only practice the remedial stuff without understanding the concept behind it. Yeah. And I also think, I mean, even in terms like when you're starting out with somebody and I mean, it, not even just when you're starting out, but the whole time you're training with them, words, like the words you use as a coach are so important, even just going to an assessment. Right. And I mean, with me, a lot of the time I will assess people by putting through, putting them through basic movements. Can they do body weight squats? Can they do right. body weight hinges? Are they able to do push ups? If not, oh, okay, we'll elevate their hands on the bench or barn squat rack. Can they do them this way? There's so many easy ways to assess somebody. I mean, of course, I'm not saying 100% of the time, right. but ways where you don't feel like you're kind of picking apart in quotations their so called weaknesses. And I mean, I'm very hesitant to use the word weak. I don't like that. Telling somebody that they're imbalanced, asymmetrical, it just makes them feel like they're very broken and fragile. Right. And that's not pro it's probably not going to help them feel confident. It's not going to help them with their training. So as coaches, and this is also something I've become a lot better at over the years, finding the right words, I mean, finding exercises, even just ways of assessing people that makes them feel confident and empowered. And I think that makes a huge difference and is something so many people overlook. Right. Like so many coaches overlook. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. It's so interesting that you said that because there's so it, like the assessment doesn't have to be complicated. It's just exactly. Can, can they do what you want them to do? Yes or no. And if they can't, then how do you get them to do what you want to do? And then how long will it take them to get there? Yeah. So that's a, Interesting, because so I, I listened to this podcast on the uh, it's a uh, NPR podcast called The Hidden Brain, and it's called Close Enough. And this podcast just blew my mind to pieces because um, these there's it was all about this these people that would try to pick up a skill, understand that the skill was difficult, and then just stop which is interesting to me because my brain doesn't think that way. And me neither. Every, yeah. Everybody on my podcast is just like, bro, stop talking about this podcast. But you know, it's, it's just the way that you were describing and the, the assessment and then what your ultimate goal is for that client and what their ultimate goals are. And then how long it's going to take them to get there is very important because you know, in this, in this podcast that I was listening to, they would pull up an instructional video on how to play a guitar. And then they'd be like, Oh, I can do that. And then go buy the guitar. And then, then pull up that same video again and then try and be like, Nope, that's hard. And then quit and put the guitar in the garage or, and never touch it again. Oh, weird. I know. And so what I do, you know, since I've been into this uh, mobility training is I look at a movement that I want to accomplish and then I determine in my head, based off of my uh, previous training, how long it's going to take me to get to that movement. And sometimes I'm like, look at it, and I'm like, well, that's about two years of training right there. Or this is about six months or eight months or whatever it is. You know? And then I look at uh, clients and athletes the same way. So I want my mom to squat below parallel comfortably. That's going to probably take her about three years to do that. Yeah, she hasn't been using her body. And, you know, we're going to figure out how to get her there, you know, over the course of time. Because one of my favorite things that uh, um, Dr. Andrea Spina says is that change in tissues equals force over time. And so, you know, it took me eight years to get a 500 pound deadlift. And I yeah, the first time I maxed it out, it was at 275, you know, so that's a long time. But it's, we live in this age where 
you get pissed off if Amazon delivers your package in three days instead of two. You know what I mean? So we're just like trying to get these immediate spectacular results that don't exist. Yeah. And I think one thing that's really important, I mean, not with like, I'm not saying your mom, but just other people. Yeah. Somebody, I mean, for example, maybe they will never be able to hit below parallel. Maybe they'll never be able to deadlift off the ground. Right. And that's totally okay. Right. I think that's one misconception is that there's one kind of universal standard for optimal form. For example, everybody must barbell back squat. They must deadlift from the floor. Right. Anything that starts above the ground or even using a trap bar isn't as good, which is totally not true. So I think if people kind of realize that, they'll feel a lot more comfortable. Right. Because a lot of people do shy away from training or even trying to master different movements because they might not necessarily think they can get there. They know their body might not be designed to perform certain lifts. And then they just think, oh, okay, well, I'm not going to do anything. Right. So what's interesting and the things that I've learned um, through DNS and then also uh, my friend, Dr. Perry Nicholson, Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he teaches what's called the anti-fragile matrix in his primal movement chains, which is, you know, uh, for those who don't know, it's just you lie down on your stomach, stand back up, lie down on your right side, stand back up, lie down on your left side, stand back up, lie down on your back, stand back up. Oh, interesting. Okay. And you just do like a set of five. And each time you do that, you do that completely different than the first time you did it. Yeah. Because your body's finding, so that's the most optimal way for, to, for your body to find solutions to get down on the ground and to come back up, essentially. And so I think that that is more important than them squatting below parallel or them deadlifting off the ground or whatever it is. I think that reintroducing people to the ground is so important. And it yeah. doesn't really matter the age because that's where you know, especially uh, people here in America, falter is the older they get, the further away from the ground they get, and then the scarier the ground becomes. Yeah. And so, you know, that's why we have people in Asia that are like, you know, whatever, 800 years old, is because they watch TV on the ground, they eat on the ground, they sleep on the ground, so they're constantly mobile and getting up on off the ground, and they also, you know, are are walking and hiking and and doing all this physical stuff all day long. Whereas in America, we don't do that hardly at all. Yeah. And I mean, another important thing is training people so they're less likely to fall to the ground right. as they age. I mean, falls, like that's, I mean, my, that's how my grandma died. Yeah. And I mean, she was old, like she was in her, she, she was 94, but right. she fell and hit her head and that's how she died. Right. And a client of mine, the same thing happened to her grandma just uh, two weeks ago. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's so common. Right. And so, you know, like Dr. Perry's saying, like, just if you just focus on being on the ground and, and, and building that intelligence and awareness in your body to get down and, and, and stand up, then that's just money. And it's so powerful for people. And I really agree with that. And so I try to integrate that into um, my training and then my clients as well. Yeah. And so the way that he adds, uh, you know, the level of difficulty to it, like, so if you're, if your client or your athlete is able to do that relatively easily, then you have them put their right hand on their left knee and do it with their right, without their hand leaving their knee. And then, and then once they get up there, then you can have them pause in random spots, like tell them to freeze. And then see where their state, where their stability is at in that section of that movement, and then tell them freeze, 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 and then you know. So there's levels to everything. You just have to have an imagination and you know understand the concept behind it. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Right on. All right. Well, I think that's a fantastic place to end it. Stay on the ground, people. <laughs> <laughs> or don't fall on, fall to the ground. Right. <laughs> both. I agree. Yeah, both. So train on the ground and also not falling down. Exactly. Boom. All right. So where can people find you? Probably the easiest place. Well, my website, megancallowayfitness.com. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram. And if people are interested, my pull-up website is ultimatepullups.com. Okay. 
That's probably, and I mean, even on my website, it kind of tells you, like it gives you the links to all of my social media platforms. Perfect. Um, and what books are you reading right now? Right now, oh my gosh, this is so horrible. I cannot remember the title of the book. It's a thriller. Um, I just finished reading her, I mean, her bestseller. She's a Japanese author. It's called Out was the one that I just finished reading. It's amazing. And so I got another one of her books on Amazon. This is horrible. I totally cannot remember the title of the book, but I'm enjoying it. Right on. So that's what I'm reading right now. Kind of one of my priorities is leisure reading, just because I do so much reading and writing for work. Okay. That for my mental health and just overall enjoyment, I definitely do want to do more leisure reading. Right on. Yeah, because I'm yeah, this, so that's all. <laughs> yeah, I'm at the stage right now where I'm just um, I didn't really value education as much, but now I do. So I'm just reading as much as I possibly can about like the brain and and the nervous system and you know biomechanics and and uh, I read a lot of self help books and I read a lot of entrepreneurial books and I'm just really trying to gather as much information as possible. But you know, leisure reading that is something I haven't done in a long time. That was me before. Honestly, like everything was self-help, business, marketing. So now I do, like I walk, I go for walks a lot. I will listen to a lot of business or marketing podcasts while I walk. Right. And then I try to leisure read first thing in the morning. Right. That's what I'm trying anyway. Interesting. I like it. Um, Dang. I had a question, but it's gone. So it's not that important. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And we'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Bye.